another episode of Crime and Coffee, and my name is Mike. And my name is Allison. Yep, and uh, we're a married couple that comes together once a week and talks about a specific murder or crime or some kind of a spooky story to get us, um, you know, something that tickles our fancies a little bit and, um, you know, something we might think is interesting. We share it with you. So yes, we I'm looking. Do. I'm looking at you, so I do share it with you, but we share it with these others as well. So. And I'm hearing it for the first time right now, just like you guys are. Yeah, exactly. So you get to sit back. We uh, switch back week after week, and uh, I was talking to you and saying, you know, we got to look at the numbers, and uh, hopefully yours are much more listened to because you're interesting and engaging, and I'm kind of boring and dull. And no, more not at all. I'm more of a dullard. I thought last week you were calling me dull and boring. Well... Facts are facts, but I mean, um, you, you while being dull and boring, I'd say you're still pretty interesting. Well, so, thank you. Yeah. How yeah. the tides have turned this week. Yeah. And uh, I was hoping that your episodes got more downloads, but it uh, turns out they're pretty equal so far. So. Um, What was I going to say again? Something about being dull and boring. Well, no surprise. You have something <laughs> dull and boring to say. So. I know. Can you, <laughs> can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have over like, I think 1,200 downloads now and just uh, still less than a month of being uh, out there. So thank you so much for listening. Telling your friends, uh, listen to or uh, come follow us on Twitter and Instagram. It's Crime and Coffee 2. Crime and Coffee 2. Because some dipsticks took Crime and Coffee and are just sitting on them. So once we get bigger, we'll take those from them. But uh, I know I'm having a good time doing this. Me too. I'm enjoying it. Having a good time. Having a little coffee together in the morning. Having my uh, San Francisco Bay, which I, I, I tweeted about. And um, I'm not in any way paid by them. So um, they're, they're more than welcome to send me a, a box or two of the San Francisco Bay uh, French roast. Delicious. I am having Starbucks K-Cups uh, peppermint mocha. Mmm, tis the season. With peppermint mocha creamer. Whoa, holy Whoa. smokes. Man. We have entered Christmas, folks. Yeah, your socks aren't even on. They must have knocked your socks off. They did. Amazing. They blew right off my feet. Holy cow. Um, What is the day today? Like November 6th or something November like that? November 7th. 7th. Um, Today we are going to put up a lot of our Christmas inside. We'll keep the crazy inside, not let the neighbors know that we're crazy on the outside just yet. Yeah. But here in Florida, the weather's cold. It was like in the 50s. Which is rare. Yes. And so we're all snuggled up. We have a free weekend. It's probably our only free weekend this month. So we're like, hey... Let's put Christmas up. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm wearing a sweatshirt right now, which like never happens to like maybe late November, I would say. Yeah. So we're pretty pumped. And oh. our son, who's like the Grinch, he's like, what? We're putting up Christmas already? He has the weirdest voice. Every single year, he's always like, it's not even Thanksgiving. I'm it, like, yes. Every year we do this before Thanksgiving. And every year you say the same thing. And he's not really a Grinch. I mean, he likes Christmas. He thinks we do it a little overboard because... I know, especially me and our daughter, Reese, um, we are big into Christmas. We have Hallmark Christmas movies playing 24-7. Reese would listen to Christmas music all year. Yeah, she definitely would. She She is... Her and I get ourselves into trouble. We went shopping yesterday and, you know, of course, Christmas is out like crazy. And I have to tell you at Target, the section for Christmas was piznacked. Yeah. So we got um, some stuff there. And then she's like, we need to get a soft, fluffy blanket for Christmas because we had one for fall and Target didn't have it. So I'm like, well, let's take a trip over to uh, Marshall's. 
big trouble there because they've got the cutest stuff i got a precious little pillow you love that pillow man oh my god it's so cute it's got like a moose on it and there's legs attached to the pillow so when it's sitting on the couch it looks like he's sitting on the couch yeah he's adorable he's holding a cup of cocoa oh it's so precious yeah it is pretty cute i I will say that it's uh i'm surprised people haven't thought about that earlier like uh, i've never seen something like that like putting legs and arms on a pillow maybe i have i haven't it kind of flashes me back to the 80s a little bit uh, for some reason so somebody had to have think thought about it it looks like a little stuffed animal sitting there yeah it's really cute kind of sitting there enjoying his coffee yeah so yeah we have uh, entered the christmas season and we are pumped and ready to go yeah yeah and while we were watching hallmark movies last night one of the girls was named billy so we Googled what Billy is short for and what was it short for? Wilhelmina. Wilhelmina. I'm, so I'm Googling it. I'm like, huh, Wilhelmina. And you're like, oh, Wilhelmina. I'm like, what the hell? Who says that? How do you know that word even exists? <laughs> so my grandma had a story about a Wilhelmina. There was a headstone in a cemetery that she had seen the name on, and it was a child that had died young. Probably from the early 1700s. Well, I don't know when. Um, you know, my grandma was born in what, like 1912 or something like that? Yeah. I don't know, something sure. like that. Yeah. But so who knows how, you know, when this child had died. But I just always remember the story of Wilhelmina. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, Wilhelmina. I got it. And I'm like, okay, if you say so. All righty like, then. Like, you know, it's like, am, am I in the same world? Like, are we both living the same kind of lives here? I've never yes, heard Mike, that. Yes, Mike, we are living the same kind of lives yeah they said it was like a kind of like william is bill for a guy and wilhelmina is billy for a girl yeah so I'd, I'd go by Will, billy as well yeah it's cute but uh yeah we're watching a lot of the the, the hallmark um christmas movies i love them so much you do. you do i mean they're so predictable and cheesy but i just love the innocence of them they yeah. just you don't have too much thinking going on oh they're so precious yeah no, no big whodunits over there like i have today Ooh, speaking of, yeah. shall we slide right in? Let's do it. Let's do it. So, um, yeah, let's let's tell the story. This is the story of the murder of Greg Flanagan. Greg he, Flanagan. Yep. So uh, he was killed in the evening of Wednesday, September 15th, 2010, at the MCM Elegante Hotel in Beaumont, Texas. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elegante? Elegante. Wow. Yeah. So pretty elegant, I would imagine. I would imagine. Yeah, sounds pretty high end. Fancy. Mm-hmm. So when Greg was young, he worked as a chief engineer on boats, spending a lot of time at sea, uh, months at a time at sea. Um, so you know, probably a pretty smart guy. But uh, as he got older, he changed careers and became a landman. A landman. Yeah. So instead of the sea, he moved to the land? Yeah, he was a seaman. Now he's a landman. Okay. Yeah. So, what did he do on the land? Uh, that's a great question. So I guess in Texas, this is kind of a common thing because uh, what they do, landman, landmen, maybe even landwomen, um, they're an agent of an oil or gas company, and they secure leases for mineral rights for land for drilling. So okay. they'll come in and you know lease a piece of land for however many years so that the oil company can come in and drill for three, four, five years, whatever it is, and then uh, pump all the oil out and get the hell out of Dodge. And you said he deals with the leases? Yep. Comes in, negotiates the leases so that the oil companies can, can come mm-hmm. in and, and- Make their money? Make Do their pumping. So- um, at this point, he's partners with his brother, Michael, and they have a really successful oil leasing company in Beaumont. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, he lives in Lafayette, Louisiana, about two hours oh. away. Okay. So um, so that's a hefty commute. Yeah, yeah. He commutes daily? No. Um, like stays there for the week, basically. Okay, because I was going to say four hours round trip, that ain't no picnic. No, no. So every Monday morning, Greg drove two hours to Beaumont from Lafayette, Louisiana. A pretty boring drive. I looked it up on Google. 
it's on i-10 there's no real big towns or anything um one of the articles i read so there's plenty of like adult billboards um you know um so a lot of adult church stores? type uh, no Did you say like well adult billboards church like stuff stuff about god you know when, like you're in the middle of nowhere driving in the middle of nowhere yes. the billboards are all like either god is here to save you or pull over and come see the triple x store okay you know kind of that kind of stuff no big advertisements or gotcha anything. yeah um, probably pretty flat yep not much to see yeah yeah very boring so he was used to spending the nights by himself in the hotel room um he had a system down he would travel really light as most uh, business travelers do um you know he'd uh, leave his suitcase open on the floor and use that as a drawer i know that sounds like something you would do i definitely do that <laughs> i get a double like a, usually two queens and i put my suitcase on one bed and i'm on the other That's so. so funny i'm an unpacker in a hotel i was gonna say that it would never fly with you no because um through college i my parents moved to florida and i was in illinois so when i would come home anywhere i was constantly living out of a suitcase i would stay with my aunt and I think I have like PTSD about living out of suitcases. So anytime we go to a hotel, even if it's just for a night, I swear to you, I unpack. And when you're done, you're always like, ha, ah, okay. <laughs> now our vacation can start. Yeah, you put your hands there. Just like, okay, good. Now we're ready. <laughs> okay, so Greg's living out of a suitcase. Yep, yep. Leaves his dirty clothes on the floor so he knows exactly which ones are clean, which ones are dirty. I do the same thing. There's those garment bags in the room. You can use that as a hamper. Ooh, uh, yeah, I do that. Okay. I, I wonder why he wasn't that. putting his dirty clothes in there. You'll like this. He had his toiletries in this cloth case that he can hang on the wall. I so like that. You had that. You actually have one of those things. I do. Um, so he, he had a little system down. And you know, at the end of the night, he'd take off his uh, jeans and uh, cowboy boots and uh, get into his nice flannel pajamas and Aww. then um, settle in for a nice little evening by himself. Sounds cozy. Yeah, he's just similar to me when I go on business trips. Like, I don't want to go to the bar and talk to some random person I don't even know. Like, I, I kind of look forward to, even even though I'm missing my family, I look forward to just being by myself. Like, I can watch whatever I want, do whatever I want in the room for, you know, 12 hours, basically. That is a foreign concept to me because I do not travel for work and... I have never stayed in a hotel by myself ever in my entire life. <laughs> That's hilarious. Have I never slept in a hotel room by myself? No, I've never even thought of that. Because if I do travel, it's with my family or it's with my girlfriends and right. we share. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Why would you unless you're traveling for work? So, so you don't. especially when we had smaller children, I would just be in awe of Mike in a hotel room with like takeout food and TV by himself. Yeah. And like my company you know, gives whatever 50 bucks a day for food. So if I have a cheap breakfast or lunch, it's like, well, now I can have a nice dinner. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, pretty much anywhere I want and have whatever I want. I can't imagine just being alone and not having 10 people talking to me. It's at the pretty same time. nice. It's pretty nice. I call into home and I'm like, hey, well, uh, all right, you guys have a great night. And then all of a sudden I'm you know relaxing for the rest of the night. Well, it must be nice. Yeah. So I, I get where Greg's at here. So on this particular evening of September 15th in 2010, it was very much like most nights that he would go to a hotel. Uh, he turned down the air conditioner like a lot of us do, made it very mm -hmm. nice and chilly in there. And, uh, you know, he happened to like it that way. And that's how he liked to sleep. And then he'd place a clean towel on the bed where he'd put his ashtray, pack of cigs, a lighter, a Blackberry, and then uh, the remote control for the TV and usually a candy bar. What was the deal with the towel? Uh, Just protecting the bed? Yeah, in case any ashes got off. That's like, considerate was, of him. He was considerate. He was a nice nice guy. So very regimented, it sounds like. Well, yeah. I mean, he, he saw... You know how, like, old... Not old, but, like, 
Um, men have their things at night. Like you hear a lot of guys that get their bowl of ice cream and do this thing or like, you know, they have something like it, I think men just kind of, I don't know, maybe it's men, maybe it's everybody, but he had his way of doing things. Um, the candy bar is interesting. It is. Yeah. Like sometimes you and I talk, uh, we, you know, there's a Snickers candy bar. When's the last time you went up to a store and bought a candy bar? I don't <laughs> even know if maybe when I was a teenager was the last time I've ever walked into a store and bought a candy bar to eat. Yeah. Yeah. So this was part of his, the whole thing that's so funny yeah <laughs> was he a slender guy yeah okay yeah surprisingly so he was kind of fit looking i would say um and uh uh like whitish hair kind of a, a light five five o'clock shadow um, how old is he at this time i'll tell you in a second i okay. think he was like 50s okay um but I, I have it a little bit later in the story so um yeah like mid 50s so okay. um he liked to end his night by having some cigarettes, watching some TV, and breaking off little bits of a candy bar to snack on. That's I like it. usually what he did. So this particular night, he chose a Reese's Crispy Crunchy Bar. Okay, so he mixed up the candy bars. We uh, weren't doing like the same one every night. Right, right. Good point. So yeah, this this night, it was, you know, he went into a store or whatever and says, ah, this is going to be the one for tonight. Reese's Crunchy Bar. Didn't yeah. even know that existed. Neither did I. I looked it up. It's kind of like a competitor to Butterfinger. Mm, okay. So, um, here, take five or, you know, one of those little crunchy things. I could do without the cigarettes, but, you know. Yeah, how about this too? And uh, he also added a root beer for good measure. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's going to have a nice We got night. our cigs. We got our sugar. It's kind of like covered. You kind of picture him kind of sitting there like all right settling in a little like yeah. sh- shaking Got his my butt towel <laughs> yeah. okay there's my ashtray right right <laughs> yeah exactly like all right what are we gonna put on tv tonight um and it's texas so that's how he talks i'm imagining well and he's so. from louisiana he correct? Is. yeah but he spends a lot of time probably more time in texas yeah it sounds that, like it all week yeah and yeah root beer in addition to his cigs while watching iron man too Okay, so we watched the same thing. No. I, Iron Man 2, that's... Um, oh, Iron Man. Yeah. Duh. Yeah, you know, Robert Downey Jr. Of course. Marvel Universe. We watched all the Marvel movies. Pretty big movie. Yes. Yeah, I was thinking of like American Ninja Warrior or something like that when you said that. Uh, no, Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2. Yeah. Got it. So, unfortunately, uh, he never got to see the ending. Oh, boy. What happens? Yeah. Um, so, that night, he got an email from his wife, Susie, a little after 7 o'clock. Um, Susie was working on filing a tax extension. She was using some software at home and kind of just giving Greg the update on where she's at in the whole process. And she's like, oh, I think I'm almost done. You know, it's looking pretty good. And um, he, one of his his last reply to her was, uh, you're doing good, babe. Aw, yeah. supportive hubby. Mm-hmm. Seems like they had a pretty good relationship. So um, while Greg was watching Iron Man 2, Greg was hit out of nowhere with a huge blow. What the F? In a hotel room? Yep. Like, when you're sitting in a hotel room, it's pretty small. This, he had no idea any of this was going to happen. So I assume this person was already in the room. Got to assume. Because you'd see them come through the door. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was so violent, it blinded him with pain. Jesus. Likely. Likely blinded him with pain. He mustered enough strength to get out of bed as he moved towards the hotel room door, but he fell face first onto the floor as he was getting up. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he may have been dead before his face hit the ground. That's incredible. Yep. incredibly awful so he's sitting there one second watching iron man 2 next second it's like Ugh! just a searing just blow and don't then, even know what hit you and what happens correct and that's 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 where he died that's awful so the next morning his wife Susie flanagan uh called greg's office they usually spoke every morning usually greg would call her you know, maybe on the way in just kind of checking in seeing how things are going 
but she had yet to hear from him. Um, he didn't answer his office phone, and then when he didn't show up to the office, a couple of his coworkers were like, okay, well, do we go to the hotel and check on him? You know, I, yeah, let, let's go check it out. I'm so. sure he's very reliable, and him not showing up is like, something's wrong. Absolutely, which is why you go to the hotel. It's right. Like he's not a guy that doesn't show up. So uh, they go to the hotel room, knock on the door, no answer. So um, when nobody comes to the door, they go to the hotel manager to open the door, and they found Greg lying dead on the rug. Oh my gosh! With a used cigarette in his left hand between his two fingers. So you know, somebody would be sure holding a cigarette. Um, this room number three forty eight was stuffy and warm, and the color of his skin was a grayish blue. They found a wet spot in the crotch of his pajamas, but that wasn't unique in a situation like this. So that wasn't unique. No, because you know, people soil themselves uh-huh. or whatever. So. Um, but obviously, I'm telling you that for a reason. Okay. So, um, Detective Scott Apple came onto the scene about an hour later, you know, after the other cops and you know whatever arrived on the scene. One of the articles I read said that uh, he's all cop, so he's like your typical cop kind of guy. Cops, cop. Um, his wife is also a cop. He met her on the job, and he was one of the SWAT team leaders. He's one of those guys that just never stops working. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like what came to mind for me right away was I recently watched Catch Me If You Can again with Leonardo DiCaprio okay. and Tom Hanks. Yeah. And Tom Hanks' character is one of those that's just always working, like always trying to find where Leonardo DiCaprio's character is going or mm-hmm. where he's headed. And like even so, like uh, on Christmas, like they'd call each other, like because Tom Hanks was at the office, <laughs> you know, at the police station. Right. Because God forbid him. you'd be off on Christmas. Right, right. So. They ended up, you know, to digress, I mean, a guy that just works all the time. And like, probably thinks about his job even when he's not there. Correct. So it's not a job. It's like his life, basically. Right. I mean, he's a cop through and through. So the scene, when he arrived on the scene, seemed pretty simple. Um, no signs of anyone breaking in. No broken lamps. No broken mirrors. Um, nothing that would indicate some kind of a fight or a struggle. No... You know, copious amount of blood, no obvious wounds, and Greg still had his wallet with tons of $100 bills in it. Like, okay, but isn't Greg's head obviously injured? No. Okay. Um, only, the only injury to his head was a scratch on his face from falling face first onto the floor, which I'll cover later. But they asked around nearby rooms because it's a hotel, and you'd think somebody would see something or hear something. Um, nothing. Nobody's like, no, no I, I don't know. I no don't. signs of str- or no sounds of struggle. Right. Yeah. No breaking anything, which makes sense because there's nothing you know, pointing to that mm-hmm. in the room. So as Detective Apple was questioning neighbors, he mentioned this was probably a natural causes type of thing. Wow. Because he came there. It's like... Nah, we assume he had a heart attack or a stroke or something. You know, cigarettes in hand. He was walking to the bathroom or something like that. Correct. Yep. Okay. So Apple looked even into Fennekin's bag, checking for clues like some pills or just anything that would be like, okay, oh, mm-hmm. okay here we go. We cracked he it open. He overdosed, yep. blah, blah, blah. He did his job like he should. You know. And you said there was or was not any blood. You said a small amount of small blood? Small amount, yeah. From the scratch on his head? We don't know for sure. Okay. But yeah, like nothing nothing that would set him off. Be like, like oh, whoa. Yeah, like there's an injury. Oh, here we go. Let's follow this lead. Sure. Nothing like that. Um, so nothing that would give him any kind of hint, like really kind of nothing. So he's just like, okay, this is one of those things. Uh, Fennekin's wife, Susie, and his brother, Michael, his partner, sure. I mentioned earlier, later told Apple that Greg never went to a doctor, 
didn't exercise and was a chain smoker for all of his adult life. Eating Snickers, drinking <laughs> root beer, smoking, probably didn't have a very good overall diet because if you did, you probably wouldn't sit in your hotel room and eat candy bars and drink soda. Right. I mean, uh, it wasn't a Snickers this time. It was a Reese's Krispy Crunch. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but but I, I just I imagine, Snickers, you know, yeah. some people are just naturally thin, so they don't have to work on it. And then you can't associate thin with healthy is basically the point. Right, right. And um, he had, you know, some good sun on his uh, skin and everything kind of a, a you know an outdoorsman fisherman mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff so he you know he just yeah lived kind of a rough life but didn't really look like it. you know seemed like a guy right. that was in shape uh he had that smoker's cough that smokers eventually get then if you're smoking since you're <laughs> 18 or whatever sure. and you're 55 it's going to take a toll on you um and surprisingly he never really drank or ate too much um, not, I, I say surprisingly cause you know, he's a traveler. You usually think of a businessman and they're, you know, out and about and taking, getting some drinks and all that stuff. But. Well too, you know, you're, if you're traveling, you're eating at restaurants, which, you know, are bigger portions. And- yeah. And a lot of free time at the end of the mm-hmm. night. So a lot of people usually drink, but he wasn't one of those guys. I mean, but at the same time, he wasn't one to shy away from a big steak or you know, right. whatever it might be. Um, you know, he just really didn't think much about what he put in his body. Just didn't do it to excess. But like I said, he was a slender guy with like a grayish beard, um, plenty of sun on his skin, and um, you know it was completely possible maybe he had a grabber, like you said, a heart attack, stroke, whatever. That's kind of what they were leaning towards, and uh, it was this simple, easy conclusion. So Susie knew that it was a possibility and figured that that was the case. Right. You know, it was. Uh, she kind of took some solace in the fact because they would often talk about people just dying in the mm-hmm. middle of their sleep or out of nowhere. Something quick and painless. Yeah. And she recalled Greg saying, lucky bastard, that's how I want to go. Mm-hmm, but and, hopefully not in your 50s. Right, right. But Susie was you know, trying to find something. Sure. Like, well, that he didn't suffer. Yeah, exactly. So she was happy he may have gone the way he wanted. Um the police at the hotel saw this as a routine type of death. They had a photographer take the normal pictures they normally would just for you know, documentation purposes. They took the body to the Jefferson County Medical Examiner for an autopsy so the doctor could find exactly what killed Greg Flanagan. Um, you know what, though? It's really tricky when that happens because when you're not treating the crime scene as a murder, you're more likely to scuff it up. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, oh, he died of a heart attack. Let's get him out of here. And people are tracking around, not necessarily watching where they're touching things. Yes, exactly. So, and I'm sure that happens a lot because, you know, in the line of police duty, I'm sure 90%, 99% of things are probably the standard type of crime. Sure. Especially, or you don't expect it to be a crime. Yeah. You expect this to be a natural cause of death. Oh, right. poor guy. That sucks. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I mean, not a great scene to be at. Let's get it cleaned up and sure. move on. So, uh, Dr. Tommy Brown was the one who uh, performed the autopsy. He had a method for performing his autopsies, uh, something he'd done many times before. It usually took him about 45 minutes to go through the normal autopsy, um, had a method and everything. So, um, yeah, I imagine similar to what you would be as a, a doctor doing an autopsy, kind of just very efficient, very fast. and Check off your list. Boom, yep. boom, boom. Yep, yep. Um, he'd kind of do the inspections of everything inside and out, weighing the organs, measuring them, recording exactly what he found in the official forms. And uh, knew exactly what he was doing. So um, the article even said that he worked fast, he talked fast. Like, he was just very matter-of-fact to the point. Kind of reminded me, um, you know, his name was Dr. Brown, and he actually had, like, you know, uh, white hair with, like, a bald top. So, like, Doc Brown from Back to the Future. Yeah. That's kind of who I picture a little bit, but, you know, um, not as crazy, I guess. So, um, he, the doctor, the article I read said Doc Brown was a local character, and as far as the death was concerned in this area of Texas, his word was law. 
Okay. So very... We trusted him. Yep. Yep. He's the guy. So um, Doc Brown uh, found a 55-year-old white man who seemed to be in decent shape. So um, Greg was 55 years old. After a thorough inspection, the doctor only found two marks on Greg's body. Oh. One, a one-inch scratch on his left cheek where his face hit the rug. Okay. And kind of weirdly, like a half-inch cut of his scrotum. Really? Yeah. Yeah. How in the hell did that happen? Great question. So the scrotum was swollen and discolored with some edema fluid. Edema. 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 I was like, I know this is going to come up. Edema. Edema. You're so cute. <laughs> well, edamame, you know. <laughs> edema. Yeah, edema. So uh, I guess that's swelling liquid? Yes, okay. it is. Okay. Like, you know, when I was pregnant, my feet looked like balloons. That yeah. was that was edema. Okay. Okay. So significant bruising in the area that spread up through the groin and across his right hip. Interesting. So, yeah, that happened to me once where I was playing some football and got my ball smashed. You were a teenager at the time and you came home and you were like, I got to show you this. And I was like, I can't wait to show her. And holy crap, I was concerned that we might not be able to have children if we eventually got married. That's my first thought, too, when I was that age. And yeah, I mean, the bruising swelled half of my ball sack and then went <laughs> the up bruise my... went down your leg. Yes. All it the was way down. shocking. It was horrible. Like you would think the testicle exploded or something. Yes. And Not it, to be TMI, but it, yeah. it was a pretty bad scene. So that's what I'm picturing here when, you know, his, his bruising went all the way across his hip. Seemed like something hit him really hard. Very traumatic. Yeah. And I could totally see that because that's what happened to me. And that's exactly what happened. So but now we have to figure out what the hell happened. Yes. So when Dr. Brown opened his torso, he found a ton of blood and internal damage. Jeez. Yep. A small amount of partially digested food was torn from his intestines. Um, so the doctor found some small cuts in his intestines, on his stomach, and on his liver. So his organs were actually lacerated. Yes. Wow. Um, he also had two broken ribs and a hole in the right atrium of his heart. Holy crap. Yeah. So he was fucked up inside. Big time. Yeah. Um, based on what he found, Dr. Brown thought the insides uh, spoke to some kind of severe trauma, obviously. Obviously. But it's interesting that his heart had a hole in it, but a lot of the external was lower in his body, more his pelvis. Yeah. Even yeah, lower pelvis, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was thinking maybe Greg had been badly beaten to death or even crushed somehow. So now all of a sudden the radar has lifted and we are on to something bad happened yeah. here. Cops come in and said, hey, looks like he just had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Let us know. And okay. all of a sudden, Doc Brown gets involved and it's like, nope, something happened to this guy. Absolutely. He got beaten down. Something. Crushed. I would imagine as soon as his clothes were, were removed, we saw that something, you know, the bruising in his pelvis and you know scrotum and whatnot it's like yeah. there was foul play oh yeah i mean you'd have to recognize that without even having cut him open right yep and um as for his cut on his scrotum dr brown said it likely came from a very very hard kick jeez he also noted that there was a tremendous blow to the chest that it caused lethal damage something like this would have caused greg to bleed out in less than 30 seconds and this was in his heart the hole in his heart yeah so some kind of a lethal blow that would cause that to kind of rupture wow I mean, just I can't imagine because you have your sternum that protects your, you know, your internal organs that he, he was hit so hard that his heart actually tore. Yeah. The valve unattached. That's and, crazy. Yeah. So you can imagine the, the big blow while he was sitting there. Yeah. I mean, just horrible. That's awful. Yeah. So next to the manner of death, Dr. Brown obviously wrote homicide. Yeah. So bump, bump, bump. What happened? I even wrote that here. Bum, Did bum, you bum. really? I always write bump, bump, bump. That's pretty funny. Um. So now we've got ourselves a whodunit. Mm-hmm. Um, when Detective Apple got this news, he was obviously surprised and wanted to talk to Dr. Brown 
as soon as he could for more of an explanation. Dr. Brown said Greg suffered from injuries that normally he sees in car crash victims or even someone found under a heavy object. That's what I was picturing when you were talking about this tremendous blow. I was thinking more mechanical thing rather than human. Mm -hmm. Like you imagine not something at a construction site, a crushing. And being in Texas and being in the oil industry, some kind of a rig that, you know, smashes somebody against something or whatever it might be. Not the force of a human. Yeah. Not sitting in a hotel room and then winding up on a floor. So now, you know, they've got to look at every single angle and every, like, holy shit, what could have possibly happened? Mm-hmm. So there's not always, you know, a ton of murders in Beaumont, Texas, um, about 10 per year. Okay. And this was right in line with all of them, about, about 10 that year. Uh, most of them have something to do with domestic dispute or like it's pretty obvious, like it's a jealous boyfriend or. Right. Uh, Rather than like who the hell would do this and why. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty, pretty standard stuff. In Beaumont, this kind of case was uh, like a once in a career type okay. of thing. So Apple had never, I mean, I don't know if he had or hadn't before, but this is a definitely unique yeah. case where it's like, okay, this is serious shit. Let's try to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, while the challenge was exciting for Apple, after months and months of work and interviews, he came up with pretty much nothing. So there was no security footage at the hotel? There was. Um, yeah, they reviewed it. Nothing out of the ordinary. Interesting. Um, six months of work and really no solid leads. So wow. It's like six months. Can you imagine working on something? Like, I mean, obviously, he had some other things he was working on as well, but six months. Oh, people like, do it for years. I know. Like, I just, <laughs> I can't imagine, like, how frustrating that's got to be. Like, my work, there's an end to it. Like, you know, either the mm-hmm. customer buys something or doesn't. And your work, you work at a hospital, you work with a patient, and, you know, hopefully the ending is good and, you know, all that kind of right, stuff. Right. Whereas here. this could go on forever and not end at all. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. So the lack of physical evidence just didn't make sense. It didn't help the case at all. It was, you know, nothing lying on Greg that would have crushed him. No sledgehammer found, you know, or any kind of large blunt instrument that clearly used to beat him. So he's thinking, like, maybe Greg was beaten outside of the room and then carefully placed back into his room. It's like, I don't know. It seems kind of outlandish. Was he in his flannel pajamas when they found him? Yeah. Okay. So the odds are, you know, he was probably not outside the room when it happened unless the person put him in the pajamas and put the cigarette in his hand. No, he definitely, you know, they're, they're definitely thinking he changed into his pajamas uh-huh. like he normally would. Um, but maybe answered the door and somebody didn't like something. So they're trying to look into some possible reasons that somebody would come to the door and have some kind of a beef with them. But at this point in time, they are literally clueless. Correct. So you know, maybe somebody had to have heard something like it's unbelievable. They've talked to plenty of people. Nobody heard anything whatsoever when this guy got crushed or beaten or something like something. And he had people on both sides of the wall. Yes. You got to imagine at least one side, at least one side. I think just one side. Okay. Because if the person had the TV on, if they happen to be in the shower, you know, something like that, then they wouldn't have heard anything. Right. Potentially. Yeah. Below too. Somebody was below him. I think he was on the top because I didn't hear about anybody above him. Uh Um, but yeah, just just kind of crazy. Um, so Apple was running out of ideas at this point. So not only was there no help from the physical evidence, but they didn't have any leads onto why someone would do this. Sure. You know, you look into the the what and the why and the who, what, how, whatever, but why? You Unless know? you think it was something related to his business and, you know, there's lots of money to be made in the oil industry. Yeah. So you would think financial reasons. A competitor wanted to take him out or something. Yeah. Or he wouldn't lease the land to somebody. Or had a bad debt. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah, whatever it might be. But I mean, Greg, all around, after all the things, seemed like a really nice guy. Yeah, because you would think they would interview everybody he had business dealings with. Yep. Yep. And obviously, first thing, every time 
somebody dies who's like the first person they well go the to. closest yeah so you would think a spouse yes so they go to Susie first is she foremost. cheating did she right. hire a hitman yep. obviously we work from the inside out typically i say we as if i'm a friggin private investigator <laughs> here's what we do mike. here's what we do mike in the uh <laughs> crime scene analysis that, hey that, <laughs> analysis. That, that's why we have you on this podcast you're the expert okay well i mean if you listen to enough true crime you know you're not maybe one that's going to be able to you know go through an entire crime scene but you kind of know the process right and i read mystery books too yeah you watch dayline you know i may as well just join the force yeah i mean i'm sure right away they'd be like yeah come on come we need on you. registered dietitian yeah you could so um yeah so obviously apple met with Susie quite a bit and um you know kind of got the whole story she just turned out she met with greg uh she met greg when they were in their 20s she was a singer in a rock band and uh she clearly loved him like you know just gushed about him and mm-hmm. how much how, how much she missed him and everything so sad yep she was a true southern belle uh pretty warm respectful but uh, also stubborn you know standing up for herself and mm-hmm. just the thing so um her heart was broken but at the same time she was so angry because you know she's first she's like okay well he he died and that, that sucks i'm sad but now it's like what the fuck somebody killed my husband and he's out there somewhere he or she mm-hmm. like this is insane and you know she's while missing him and her heart's broken she's just angry, angry. i don't blame her now yeah. was she ruled out quickly as a suspect yes yeah pretty quickly i mean no nothing pointing to her possibly doing it um so she said greg was the nicest man she had ever met so nice that she married him twice oh they got divorced and remarried (laughs) yep (laughs) first as youngsters (laughs) and then they divorced oh then they got back together while they were in their uh, midlife that's cute and uh when Susie made that first call back to get greg um greg goes i've been waiting for your call oh that is so sweet <laughs> so the second time around they've been married for 15 years okay so and I, how long were they married the first time around uh didn't say okay but um it didn't seem as long as the 15 years so they were young you know mm-hmm. didn't wasn't the right time but they sure. it was the right time the second time around so when apple interviewed his brother michael and some of his co-workers they all said that greg was liked by everyone at the company mm-hmm. like he's, he's a good guy stand-up guy yeah, you know, this is definitely out of the ordinary. Nothing they could think of. Nobody that was ringing a bell. Yep. And when he spent time at the Elegante Hotel, uh, he rarely hung out with anyone else. Preferred to be by himself in his room. Um, usually went to his room early in the evening and stayed there until the next day. Mm-hmm. Nobody saw him at the bar. No stories about the bartender seeing him. No, nobody you know, wasn't carousing, talking to some women. You know, he was there a lot and never seen it. You know, anywhere hanging out. He was always in his room. Yep. Basically. Sounds like you, like yeah. you said. Right. Unless you have to. Right. Because you've got a client or a coworker that expects you're like, oh, I, I got to go out to dinner with this person. Well, then I'm working for like three more hours. You right. Know, I might have to be on my, my A game and I'm bringing up things and listening to them. Like I'm working. It's It sucks. Even if you go to a high end restaurant, you know, some people are like, oh, you get to go to nice steak dinners and stuff. It's like, it still sucks. I mean, it doesn't suck. It's great. I, I enjoy my job, but it's still work. Right. You're you, like you said, you have to be on. Yeah, exactly. So you're more like, you know, Greg, where you'd want to just retire back to your hotel, get comfy and hang out. I can watch any Netflix special I want and not know. have your wife piping in and telling you, no, why are you no. watching this? No, not at all. Just, you know, you don't have to worry about anything because I, I worry about pleasing you and the kids and everything. And I just want to make sure that everything's happy. And the only person <laughs> I got to worry about is me. Yep, so it, yep. it's cool. Nice little break. Yes. Um. So, you know, the only problem is that someone did someone did this who did it yep exactly fall and winter of 2010 would come and go and detective apple just looked into everything he possibly could uh he eventually found some maintenance records that showed at some point early in the evening of greg's death 
uh, Greg blew an electrical circuit. Hence the balmy room. Right. When so, they found him, whereas he would normally keep it cold. Yep, very good. So that took out the power in his room, along with the room next door and underneath him. He was cooking some microwave popcorn. Okay, so, wow, a microwave in the room, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's elegante. So It's very elegante. Yeah, I would expect nothing but the, the best when I'm staying at the elegante. Uh, he was cooking some microwave popcorn and inadvertently zapped the power while uh, you know while, while doing so. Greg called the front desk to report the outage and told the maintenance guy, yeah, I burned the popcorn. Sorry, buddy. Here we go. Um, so knowing this led Apple to two possible outcomes or theories. Okay. One, sex. So it always comes down to sex. Okay. Right? So the Elegante's maintenance man happened to have a criminal record as a sex offender. Oh. So... Could he have uh, punctured Kevin's scrotum in some kind of a bizarre sexual assault? Um, Apple spent some time talking to this maintenance man, but never really got past this outlandish theory. Okay. Okay. So, nope, definitely not a sexual thing. Now, did the hotel say they dispensed this maintenance man to go fix this? Yep. And would he have to enter his room to do so? Um, I don't know if he had to enter or not, but he was definitely at the front door and talked to Greg. Okay. So... I'd imagine it's fixed elsewhere, like in the electrical area. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, he probably tripped a switch or you know, a fuse or whatever. Um, something to, number two is something to do with a group of union electricians who were also staying at the Elegante. Mm. So for like an extended stay, they were working on an oil rig or okay. something. A bunch of them who happened to be in the room next door, number 349, uh, that same night Greg died. These guys were in town for a while doing a job like for an oil company, like I said. At night, they'd share some drinks, usually in one of the guys' rooms. Mm -hmm. Hence the group of them in the room. Yep, yep. Um, Yeah, let's go get beers in Billy's room tonight and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, What if they're maybe partying it up next door and then the power went out and maybe one of them came over to Greg's room and was like, hey, well, what the fuck? You know, we're trying to have a good time over here. Yeah, who knows? Sure. And then, you know, it gets pissed off and it like beats the shit out of Greg for whatever reason because he's drunk and stupid. Right. Um, maybe they beat him outside of the room. You know, he answers the door, comes outside and beats the shit out of him, drags him back into his room. Um, you know, they, you got to look at every possibility. You can't like think that this is the way it happened. Obviously you got to have a totally open mind. Of course. Um, so some of the electricians were questioned the next day of Greg's after Greg's death, but none of them said they had any interaction with Greg at all. Okay. So at least they're keeping their story straight if, if they did. Um, I mean, you know, they talked to a lot of them. It's like, no, I didn't even know he, this guy was there. And then maybe they didn't hear him or any scuffle because they were talking and whooping it up over their beers. Yeah, exactly. Um, nine days after Greg's death, Apple and a colleague came back to the hotel to question some of these same men again. So Apple was wearing a hidden video camera to try to catch them with some some kind of information. So we have a lot of exactly what he said. Um, the men they talked to were friendly and obviously curious. So um, what happened to the guy anyway, said Lance Muller. Um, Muller was the main registered, the man registered in room 349. Okay, the so they were right hanging in his room. Yep, along with a roommate, Tim Steinmetz. So I guess these guys had roommates, which, oh, man, I used to have to do that back in the day. It sounds uh, awful. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. I mean, you're a grown person. You're staying with another yeah. grown person. And in college, uh, that was fine and dandy. But now that I'm an adult, I unless you're my husband, I really don't want to share the room with you. Or close friend or something. Or maybe, yeah, like I'm going to Vegas with my brother for his bachelor party next year. And I'll stay with him. Yeah, yeah. it's Vegas and whatever. But. Even then, I kind of don't want to share the room just because I'm particular about what I like to do. You and are particular, that's for sure. If I want to go to bed, I don't want to have to stay up because so-and-so is watching TV and 
having drinks in the room. Right. Like, I want to be able to say, all right, guys, I'm going to bed. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah. No. So um, Lance Muller is like, what the hell happened to that guy? And Apple's like, ah, man, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to find out. It was almost like something fell on him or something. We're just trying to see if somebody heard something or maybe if somebody knows something or maybe if someone messed with them. Uh-huh. And Muller and Steinmetz didn't offer anything. Uh, the two electricians said they thought they had heard the man in the next room coughing when they returned from the bar, which he typically would be because he's a big smoker. Mm-hmm. Um, Muller seemed to seem as confused as Apple about the idea that something had crushed the man. He's like, there's nothing in these rooms heavy enough. Right. And nothing was laying by him that would have fallen on him and crushed him. Yeah. Even like a TV or something. It's like, no, something like a big, big, big TV, maybe. But I'm, it's in, you know, that was totally intact. So, right. Uh, down the hall, they found three more electricians, Trent Pisano, Thomas Elkins, and Scott Hamilton. The men were friendly and tried to be helpful. Uh, one said that when he was seen, he'd seen the body on a gurney in the elevator oh. the next day. And he's like, well, maybe there's caterers delivering a big cake or something like that or a food tray or something. He's like, well, that was a heavy cake. Yeah. Yeah. Big ass cake. Where's the cake? Yeah. <laughs> there's no frosting on the floor. Unfortunately, there was not a cake. That, that was... That's a really weird. <laughs> maybe it was a catering well, thing. It was like the cake fell on it. Well, you're not thinking that there's a dead body. Rolling yeah, through. but that's weird. I mean, it looks like a body. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, Pisano said he'd been in the room with Muller and Steinmetz that night, but they hadn't seen anything or heard anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the electricians handed over the driver's licenses, gave Apple all their contact information, said they'd be in town for a few more months if anything came up. You know, more than happy to help. Sure. So that was, the, you know, no leads there. So weeks and months went by. Apple worked any theory, like I said. He considered the possibility that Susie had her husband killed, like we said, but um, he also considered Michael his partner. You mm-hmm. know, maybe he wanted the rest of the business. Full reign of the business. Yep. Um, nothing there had even hinted at either person. Okay. So by the end of 2010, Scott Apple was stuck. Uh, hoping to unearth something new in November, the family put up a $50,000 reward okay. for any information. So produced nothing. Uh, Michael, the brother, hired a private investigator from Houston, a former FBI agent, just to try to get some fresh eyes on it. Sure. Um, Apple met with the man, reviewed the case. That was the last time they saw him. Okay. So the matter of Greg Finnegan was bound for the cold files. It would be just another box of notes and evidence stored in the Jefferson County courthouses until... Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Susie called a guy named Ken Brennan. Okay. Okay. So he called him... She called him while he was on the golf course. She was surprised that he answered. Um, so a lot of the stuff, um, uh, the articles I read, they they interviewed these guys afterwards. So they kind of have an idea of what they said. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, anytime I read an article that says what somebody specifically said, and I know there wasn't like a video camera, I'm like, okay, did he really say all this stuff? But a lot of the stuff is pretty accurate because sure. it comes from the person that said it, yeah. basically. So, um, so she, you know, he answers. She's like, oh my god, you don't have a secretary and. You know, she was just flustered and, and, you know, she was very excited. She got to talk to this guy right away, Ken Brennan. And um, she started to tell the story. She could barely get the whole thing out. Um, you know, told him about the death, what the coroner found, the dead ends. You know, he uh, he asked her to send some files. And Who they, is Ken Brennan? He's a detective. Okay. I so, didn't know if you established that. I didn't that. yet. No, I didn't. Okay. I'm getting there. So uh, I said he'd take a look. She said uh, she'd been feeling a little sick lately, but she'd try to pull it all together and send it over to him. And Brennan goes... Well, you need to fucking take care of yourself. One thing. Oh, yeah. So he's, uh, you know, this a is straight shooter kind of guy. Yep, straight shooter. He's very to the point, and um, but at the same time, so everything. I guess the article said everything he said came in a thick New York accent. Okay. This is how. So I'm, I'm going to have a good time talking with like Brennan. So, um, 
thick New York accent voice sounds like it's been through some rough times. Okay. Yeah, just like well, like uh, kind of like the Sopranos, like uh-huh. the, you know, with a fat guy or whatever. Like, hey, we don't know the fuck you're talking to. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of what I picture. It was a direct command that Susie didn't expect from him because of his gruffness, but it endeared him to Susie immediately. Uh-huh. It's like you know, he cared about her. He's that's like, you nice. need to take care of yourself. So. Brennan's a former Long Island cop and DEA special agent who now makes a good living as a private dick in Florida. Private dick. I had to say private dick. Thanks, Mike. You know, detectives, I just had to say dick at some point. So that's why he was on the golf course in February. Uh, he's pushing 60, still in good shape, handsome, wears a little bit of gold on his uh, on his necklace, um, some Irish rings on several fingers. So, you know. Very mob mobster-like. Yeah, typical New York mobster-looking kind of guy. <laughs> um, exactly what I was thinking. So months earlier... Not long after Greg was killed, a young lawyer friend, Kay or Kaya, it's spelled K-E-A. Okay. Or Kaya, K or Kaya. Um, the internet said Kaya, but who knows. Uh, Kay Sherman had told Susie and Michael about uh, Brennan, sharing Susie's frustration with the investigation. She'd hit upon the strategy of filing a lawsuit against the hotel as a way to pursue the probe privately. Okay. So if you per, you know file a lawsuit, then you have access to a lot of information. Okay. Basically. Uh, she'd read an article in Vanity Fair magazine, the same magazine that I got a lot of this information from, and uh, the case was The Case of the Vanishing Blonde, published in December of 2010. Okay. So it detailed Brennan's success in resolving a 20, uh, 2005 cold case in Miami. Now, when investigations seemed hopeless, Sherman brought up Brennan again. She's like, if you want to do something, you have got to call this guy. That's the one I told you about. Just find him. So his information is like readily available on the internet. It's like if you look him up right now, you could probably call him and and hire him to yeah. solve something. Yep. So he turns down tons of cases, um, way more than you know he can possibly handle. People come to him with all kinds of unsolved murders, disappearances, and he talks to people seriously. You know, he he's a nice guy. He wants to listen to them, but at the same time, you know, he's not. He said, "I ain't in the business of giving people false hopes." Right. That's what he said. So. This particular case appealed to him because of the mystery, but also because there were so many avenues to explore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Apple was thinking, yeah, there's tons of avenues, but I've explored them all already. You know, but at the same time, like we said, fresh eyes. And thinking out, you know, maybe he'll think outside the box in a way that your brain didn't, you yeah. know, trigger. Not that he's better or whatever, but he does have plenty of experience. Yeah. And it's the whole collaboration thing, too. Exactly. You, you think more and get more avenues of thought when you're talking to somebody else you're right we've seen that in plenty of hallmark movies so (laughs) well that's how i work well too i like to bounce ideas off of people i do too rather than just you know come to things on my own well like in sales you know we work on deals like how can we possibly get to the next step right talk to my boss and other coworkers, and yeah so apple's not feeling um you know what's the word I'm trying to think of inadequate because you know, obviously he understands Susie wants this solved. Right. I'm cool with Brennan being called. Yeah. So they, yeah, he's, he's fine with it. He's like, yeah, let's, let's get it figured out. He knew a fresh pair of eyes might be the most valuable thing that you can bring. And that's a good police officer that's willing and open to, to that idea. Yep. So Brennan visited Lafayette in April. He worked over Susie first, asking her all the hard questions. Mm-hmm. Were there any insurance cases? You know, anything that you'd want to kill him for? Like, you know, obviously trying to find every, you know, was he cheating on you? Were you cheating on him? Did you want him dead? Like just a lot of, a lot of bad questions, but you have to. Um, asked about Greg's faithfulness, you know, just pretty much everything. But, right. Those are questions, like you said, that have to be asked in a case like this. Yep. But turned out Susie had no clear motive to have him killed. Then Brennan says, let me ask you one more thing. Was there anything about the crime scene that didn't seem right to you that seemed off? And she's like, 
you know, uh, one thing that surprised me was the warm room. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, we tripped the power. Right. Yep. But, you know, any kind of piece of information might lead you to something else, you know? So if you're like, okay, well, let's start there. And at least it's something, like anything. Right. right. Especially in this case. So Brennan goes home, makes arrangements for a second trip to Beaumont, um, and wanted to meet Apple at a sports bar just to kind of talk and go over the case and be like, okay, here's what we'll need to do to work together if we're going to be doing this, right? So Brennan told Apple what he tells all the cops he meets. Listen, I'm not a maverick. I don't do things half-cocked. If I decide we're going to do this, we're going to do this as a team. There's nothing I'm going to do that you don't know about, and there should be nothing you're doing that I don't know about. Okay. So the one thing I don't want to do is fuck up your case. He's got a dirty mouth. (laughs) It sounds like it. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of these coming. (laughs) Yeah. So... I've been doing this a long time, but I also know that you're the guy in charge here. So it's your case. Oh, good for him. Yeah. I mean, you d- immediately, it's like, okay, this is your case. I'm just here. I'm helping you. Yeah. Which kind of gives off that, you know. Sure. Collaboration vibe. So part of what he was doing was Brennan was checking Apple out. Okay. A little bit. Like, is this the kind of guy I can work with? Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't want to work with somebody I don't like, is what he said uh, in, an, in a further interview. So he prides himself in being able to read people very quickly. And he liked uh, Apple. Okay. So he said uh, it was mutual. Apple also said Ken has good people skills. Good. Good guy. So the following morning, Apple picked up Brennan and they visited the hotel room where Apple showed him the crime scene photos, the autopsy results, and reviewed what uh, he's done the last seven months, basically. Mm -hmm. So Brennan heard him and he said, I think I know how this guy died. Really? Yeah. Just like that. I think I know when he died. I think I know who killed him. And I think I know how we're going to catch him. Just like that. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, obviously this guy dove headfirst into this case and he's like, holy shit. So, okay. So Apple's like, get, get the fuck out of here. Sure. Like, he's like, no way. So he's like, all right, hear me out. Ready? So I'll tell you what I think, but first I got to call the guy's wife. So he called Susie. Um, he goes, so Susie, was your husband right-handed or left-handed? She said right-handed. And when he smoked, did he smoke with a cigarette in his left hand or in his right hand? Okay. Always smoked in his right hand. Okay. You sure? Positive. Yep. So Brennan... Let me guess. Was a cigarette in his left hand? It was in his left hand. Okay. Yep. So Brennan hung up and explained his conclusions to Apple. Susie had already told him how cold Greg kept his room. This helped fix the time of death. So it helped him kind of pinpoint where to kind of start things out. As Brennan saw the air conditioner shut down with everything and the circuit breaker blew, that time was known. Uh, The records show at about 8.30 p.m. Okay. So as the movie resumed, Greg forgot to flip the AC back on because, you know, the move, just power came on. He mm-hmm. assumed it was probably on. Mm-hmm. So it would have taken a few minutes for the room to grow warm enough for him to notice. Right. So, you know, at least 15, 20, whatever. And by the time it had, he was dead. Okay. So they know, you know, within 15, 20 minutes of this, he was dead. So according to Brennan, the cigarette proved that Greg had not been beaten severely somewhere else perhaps even just out in the hall and then returned to 348. Mm-hmm. So because he had that lit cigarette. That's what I was thinking. He's yep. holding a cigarette. Yep. Uh, so the hallway scenario would explain why nothing was disturbed, but not that he had a lit cigarette in his hand. So there's no way Greg's attackers would be able to return him delicately cupped and you know put a cigarette in one hand uh-huh. and put it down, you know, the burning cigarette between his two fingers. It just doesn't make any sense at all. It was also unlikely, given the ruptured atrium, that Greg would have had time to return to the room after a, a bad beating. Okay. And lit up a cigarette. Right. Before, you well, know, no, when you're, you're crushed in the chest and you're bleeding out, you're not like, oh, I'm going to go light up a cigarette. Yep. So more than likely, Greg lit his cigarette before whatever happened yes. happened to him. Uh, now to the cigarette. If Greg was right-handed, why was a cigarette in his left hand? Mm-hmm. Um, as Brennan pieced it together, he looked at the room, so he figured Greg had gotten up at some point. 
you know, put his, you know, as he was getting up, put a cigarette in his left hand, headed towards the door. He shifted the cigarette to his left hand, grabbed the door with his right hand. Okay. You would think. Sure. So it's hard to see all this making sense at this point, but Brennan learned to be patient. They say it's a mistake to let what you do not know race out ahead of what you do know. Okay. So it's kind of like wipe your mind. Let's, mm-hmm. let's just, what, here's the facts. The, here is our absolute facts. So the, any, like, you know, a crime is a puzzle. If you're missing any piece of that little puzzle piece, it's then... It's not going to come together. Exactly. So you need everything together here. So um, so Greg was not beaten to death in his room, um, according to the evidence, but he had died there. And he had died quickly after sustaining these wounds. As they said, what was what did the um, pathologist or the autopsy guy say? That it was within a matter of minutes yeah, that he would have out? Oh, out. wow, 30 seconds. Yeah, Ooh. super fast. I mean, the, the amount of blood you're losing from a vessel that gets yeah. popped or whatever. I mean, so somehow what happened happened. He didn't know yet how it happened, but he was convinced Greg had been quietly minding his own business just minutes and even seconds before he was killed. Mm-hmm. So just so like, it all just happened in a snap. Yep. So this is what led to the electricians. They're like, okay, the electricians had something to do with it. Oh. Um, the room had been partly blacked out by the blown circuit at the time Greg's had been. So all the scenarios Apple had considered, this was the one that made the most sense. The union guys may well have been drunk and may have confronted Greg in the doorway of his room, exchanged words, and kicked him to death right there. And he asked Apple if you'd interviewed the electricians. He's like, yeah, they were nice. You know, total, total helpful. He said, uh, nothing hinky. Nothing hinky? <laughs> Nothing hinky. He's like, nope, nope. So Brennan goes, I'm sure if they were drinking, they had had to talk about it to each other. Like guys that drink, you know, they're going to share some stories and then yeah, probably go back after the, the contract's over talk about, holy shit, this guy next door, the gurney, you know, everything. So um, Brennan's like, somebody knows something about them. Um, probably one or two of their close friends or their coworkers are going to know about this. So let's go back and talk to them again and try to just get everybody's aunt, like everybody at the, the, the union you know, had heard something. So let's, let's go back and hear something. They paid a visit to Doc Brown next uh, to try to clear things up here and be like, okay. Uh, Ken wanted to know if the injuries Brown had might have been caused by a severe beating. Um, they might have, the doctor said. The, the cut... Wait, you said, Ken, about what Brown had? You mean what... Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was... Uh, no, if the injuries Brown had seen. No, I said... Uh, oh, yeah. So if the injuries Brown had seen okay. might have been caused by a severe beating. Okay. Yeah. Um, they might have, but the cut of the scrotum could have been caused by a hard kick, especially if the murderer had been wearing steel-toed boots. Oh. So the electricians next door wore construction yep. boots. Yep. Brennan asked Apple to start interviewing the men who had worked with the union electricians the previous summer. He returned home to continue inspecting the hotel surveillance video, like mm-hmm. you mentioned. Um, turned out it was really time-consuming, nothing particularly helpful. The camera showed Greg returning from work in the evening. They showed the electricians making trips to the vehicles in the parking lot, but nothing that screamed anything crazy. And obviously, there's no cameras in the hallways. Right. Okay. Yep. Uh, and if there were, I, I actually, there might have been, and nothing came up on the screen. Because you would assume the electricians would have been seen walking over to Greg's room. Yeah, and that'd be open and shut. I mean, yes. you would have found that a long time ago. This is what happened. Yep, none of that. So, Brennan returned to the Beaumont in late May. Uh, he and Apple went to see some of the co-workers who had not been interviewed yet. By this time, the union electricians had been gone for seven months. Okay. So, they were gone out of that place. Uh, Apple's efforts with the co-workers uncovered nothing, but Brennan was convinced it was worthwhile. He's like, let's just go. Like, let's just do it. And Apple's like, I, I did it already, man. He's like, Let, let's, let's, let's see do what it else. again. Yep. Um, so, they went and... Um, you know, if, if somebody heard something about Greg, it would have spread by this point. So they made the rounds 
And yeah, most of the men heard about the guy who died at Elegante Hotel. You know, what a shame. That's too bad. Right. Really sad to hear it. Did anyone know what had happened to him? Um, all these men, all the things that were either second or third hand or worse, like it was like the telephone game. And everybody was kind of confusing things. And it was kind of not really leading somewhere. Until um, Brennan would remember later, one of the crew foremen, a man named Aaron Bork, had heard something about a gun going off in the boarding house. In a boarding house? In, in the hotel. Oh. Yeah. I was like, what? That's from the article. It's the hotel. <laughs> the boarding house. Yeah, I guess they, they got to use a thesaurus never sometimes. heard of a hotel referred to as a boarding house. Well, but... it's okay. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> I, I don't get it. So <laughs> That's what it is. So, yeah, he's like, yeah, I, I heard a gunshot going off. And he's like, no. Uh, Apple corrected him. He's like, no, no, that's not the same case. This one was the one where a man got in a fight at the Elegante Hotel. Okay. So Apple's convinced there was a fight, something. Sure. So all of a sudden, this Bork, where was he in the mix of this night? Just heard some stories from okay. he wasn't and there. Through the game of telephone, he hears that it's a gun, not, you know. Yep. Okay. So um, Apple's like, no, no, it's a fight. And Bork's like, nope, heard nothing about a fight. So as they drove away from Bork's house, Brennan goes, we need to go back to that hotel. Apple's like, why? What are we doing? He's like, we're going to go and look for a bullet. No, but there were there was... No bullet wound? Um, not that the doctor found. Okay. Okay. So in room 348, they began inspecting the floor. Furniture, walls, everything. They're like... With just, a fine tooth comb. Yes, Top absolutely. Top to bottom, left to right. Yep. We're on their hands and knees, shining flashlights everywhere. They found nothing, unfortunately. Brennan was frustrated because he's convinced a gun is involved somehow. Like, he's just like, this is it, man. This is it. Interesting he didn't just blow it off like, okay, well, the game of telephone told this man wrong. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess that's a good detective. Right. Exactly. So they were about to give up when they noticed a slight indentation in the ah. wall alongside the closed door that led to the adjoining room. Interesting. Yep. Um, you know, it looked like, you know, maybe possibly typical hotel wear and tear. But when he opened the door, the knob and dent didn't quite match. The doorknob touched the wall slightly to the right. So it was slightly offset. So okay. something knocked it out of place, basically. Brennan suggested they took a look at the other room. Um, and then you the know, adjoining. Door. Yep. In room 349 where the electricians Yes. Were. Yep. So they got to the hotel security guide, opened that that door, and there was no mistaking what they found there. Um, Brennan stood next to a small, neat hole in the wall that had been patched with a dab of faintly pink filler that turned out to be dried toothpaste. Ah. He measured its height against his hip. So, you know, he goes against the wall. Like, he's like, okay, it's about here in my hip. And he goes into room 348, and it's in the exact same location. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Um, it was... The hole in 349 led to the larger hole in 348, the bullet's exit. Uh, Beaumont's crime scene investigators carefully excavated both holes and shined a laser through it. So just to see exactly the trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have put it straight into the bed where Greg had been sitting, smoking, oh. eating candy, and watching his movie. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Brennan said, this motherfucker was shot. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The only- and there's like no blood in the bed. Right. So crazy. Yeah. Um, the only problem, well, all the blood was inside of him still. Right. It had no like exit wound to kind of come out of. It did at the bottom of his scrotum. It just pooled inside of him. Yeah, it exactly. Like. It didn't like have a direct access to it. So it was just all you know, wow. sitting inside of him. The only problem, Doc Brown wasn't convinced. So in order, I, I'll, I'll kind of go over it here. Okay. Yeah. I have so many questions. Yeah. There's a lot. Because so. you would think there'd be a bullet wound in his hip right. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So he, Doc Brown examined the man's body from head to toe, cut him open, looked at the organs. Like we said, reversed the expectations of the police that initially came and were like, Oh, this is a heart attack. He's like, Nope, Nope. This is a homicide. So he's like kind of proud that he found that he's like, mm-hmm. this is definitely a homicide. 
So all of his years of work, you know, maybe it didn't work out for him because he, maybe he was on autopilot or whatever. I mean, this is something, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to see. When you deal with the same thing over and over every day, you're not thinking the other way, you know? Yep. So he had already determined it was a homicide, but now these guys are going to try to come in and tell him he's wrong. And, you know, they, they knew it wasn't going to really go very yeah. easily. So they're like, maybe he missed something as important as a bullet wound. You're trying to tell me that I missed a bullet wound. Are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah. You immediately have your haunches up, like getting yeah. defensive, like and especially a doctor, you yeah. know, they're, they're very smart and they know what they're doing and they're used to people kind of bowing down to them. Yeah. So Apple and Brennan are like, I don't want to talk to him. You talk to him. You got, <laughs> I don't want to do it. Let's draw straws. <laughs> yeah, basically. And Brennan's like, all right, I'll do it. Um, so after he and Apple had found the bullet hole and traced the trajectory, the answer to the mystery of Greg's death was, he believed, clear um, to uh, um, Brennan. So in order to act, they needed, uh, in order to bring Greg's killer to justice, they need to get some kind of corner to write his findings. They needed somebody to say there was a bullet wound. So okay. they needed this to change. Because the rules are you can't argue it in court that somebody's been shot when the reason for death is not a bullet wound. Right. And there's no documentation that there was a bullet wound found. Yep. Now, was Greg buried? um i'll tell you in a second okay so um very good though i always well i one would assume they'd have to exhume the body yep to inspect the site of the bullet wound yep so they go to doc brown's office it's a mess papers folders everywhere they clear off some space and a couple seats and they sit down and they mentioned they were working on the flanagan case the doctor's like oh did you catch the guy to beat him up Mm -hmm. and they're like well let me tell you here something, Doc. Uh, not, not, <laughs> we not quite think yet. you may have missed a little something, something, Doc Brown. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he's like, you know, they're, they're like, well, not yet. And they try to, you know, kind of baby him into it. Be like, well, here's what we're thinking. You know, we're, we're trying to say, um, you know, it, it might not have been exactly what we think. And then Doc Brown's like, so you're trying to tell me this man was shot. Basically. So it's interesting that Brennan was so delicate with Doc Brown. You'd think he'd be like, listen, Doc, you fucked up. <laughs> it, I mean, it kind of gets there a little bit. So um, so I, I guess here's my question. When you're doing an autopsy, you're inspecting head to toe on the outside and basically head to toe on the inside. So one wonders, like, how did you miss the bullet wound? Probably because of previous experience. Um, he said that typically these are the kind of cases that are in a car accident or something. It, you, automatically, your mind goes somewhere. Yeah, you know, I guess. The human brain's always trying to make sense and like mm-hmm. be, you know, always going back to previous experiences. I get so, it. You know, it, we're human. And we're, I mean, an autopsy done in 45 minutes you know, pretty it's pretty efficient. Pretty maybe too maybe efficient. a little too efficient. <laughs> yeah. I'd imagine his future autopsies took a little longer. A little bit longer. Yeah. So he's like, you're trying to tell me he was shot. I'm telling you he wasn't shot. So, you know, he could see where this was heading. He's, okay. He's refusing to get the body exhumed. Oh. He's like. And it's got to be signed off by him? Yes. He's like, oh. we're not exhuming this body. It brings up a ton of shit. But I mean. Then- I'm, but I'm sorry. If I'm Susie, I want to know that this happened and you would think she'd be able to override the doctor and say look well here's the thing before we get too crazy okay it's like this stupid article is like no that he refuses to exhume the body it's like well it turned out that he was cremated so (gasps) no yeah so damn it there's no exhumation or anything like that um the ovens may have cooked any kind of metal fragments okay so they don't even have to worry about it it's impossible okay so Brennan goes, well, let's just take out the photos from the autopsy. He's like, come on, come on, Doc. Uh, humor me a little bit. Here. Hey, what do, you, what do you say? Come on. Let's go through them and see what we can find. So Brown's like, okay, fine. They look through the photographs, and uh, Brennan's pointing a couple of things out. He's like, what about this here? A little spot of damage. He's like, that's the liver. 
And then what about this? That's the intestines. Yep, he's kind of like, okay, he's kind of leading him into something here. So Brennan knew what he was looking at. Brennan's been through plenty of cases here. Sure. You know, I mean, he's not a doctor, but... He's seen a lot of stuff. A million times, yep. He has a ton of experience, uh, worked some pretty gruesome cases in the past. The bullet had entered Greg's scrotum and torn up through oh, inside of him. Because you were saying about his intestine was lacerated, his yes. stomach, whatever. The little piece of food was yes. like ripped out of his intestine. Like, that was Like, weird. how did that come out of his... It's a tube that's closed. Yeah, when I was first re- you know, looking into him, like, did somebody open him up and rip open the intestine? Well, I guess that's a question of mine. When they opened him up and saw food outside of his intestines and his GI tract... Why was that not a red glaring flag there? I would have to guess that it was from a blow, like from some kind of a crushing. So he probably thought it just ruptured. So we knew he perforated his stomach or intestines. We just didn't assume that it was a A bullet. bullet. We assumed it was from a blow. Yeah, because there was no bullet hole as far as he was concerned. Yes, I get that. So So it went through the scrotum. Yeah, because he was laying in bed watching his movie and his legs are open. Okay, I'm picturing the guys behind him for whatever reason. Yeah, no, no. So So the the adjoining room door was in front of him. Balls are facing the adjoining Thank door. you, Mike, for that. Like this. Yeah, I see your balls. Thanks yeah, for nope. that demonstration. Well, I didn't take him out to be on the... No, Mike's got his shorts on. Yes, We're all good you. here. Let's let's get back to the story, Allison. Quit talking about your husband. Okay, so the skin of the scrotum was soft and pliable, obviously. Uh-huh. So you know, it probably just folded over the entry. Sure, wall. sure. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, making it way less obvious than it actually was. So the internal injuries trace the bullet's trajectory perfectly. Brennan asks, could all of this damage have been done besides blunt force trauma? Could a bullet have caused the same damage? The doc says, yeah, but it would not have happened here. This man was beaten. Interesting. And he's like, okay, doc, but could it have? I mean, I know he was beaten, but could this have been done by... Mm-hmm. He's trying to open his mind a little yeah. bit here. And uh, Brennan found something in the photo that supported his argument. It looked like a track. Okay. You could get the same thing from being beaten, uh, said the doctor. And then they got to the heart. Brown passed the photo to the detectives. Mm-hmm. This is where you and I are going to do a fun little exercise. Oh, okay. So okay. this will be a little different. You're going to be you're going to take the part of uh, Brennan. Okay. And I'm going to be the doctor. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to roll over to you, and we're going to kind of act this out a little bit. All right. So I'm Brennan. You're Doc Brown. Yeah. Okay. So all right, folks, let's play pretend now. Yeah, you don't even know that this is happening. I do not know. This is, remember when I was laughing and I was reading this? <laughs> yes. I was like, okay, we're going to do this. So I have your name here, Allison. You're so funny. And then I'm Mike. Okay. You're okay. Mike. Hey, Mike. So Allison, you're Brennan. Okay. I'm Doc. All right. Doc. What? That's a bullet hole, Doc. What? And now I'm pointing. Uh-huh. That's a fucking bullet hole. Well, sometimes when a man is kicked or hit with a blunt object in the chest, it is the right atrium that normally bursts. Doc, that is a fucking bullet hole. <sighs> yeah, that's a bullet hole. Oh, the media is going to kill me on this. Okay, so, I mean, it's got to be a tough pill to swallow to realize that you did miss this. I mean, his whole, like, you know, his professional career is, like, in question uh, now. That really sucks. Yeah. It sucks to be wrong. It yeah. does, but in a case like this, you need to just be, own up to it. I'm right. human. Yeah. I missed it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he didn't see a bullet in his body when he did the autopsy. Right. But it's in there, right? It was in there because yep. it never exited. Yeah. And I thought that was such a cool scene. That is like, kind of cool. It's like, yep, that's a bullet hole. And it, it, amazing. And so, just from a picture, you know, yeah. they were able to see that. Yeah, exactly. So 
Now they got it. Um, so now the cops go back to talk to the electricians. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay. Who shot this bullet? One of these well, guys. You were in that room. Yep. You took some toothpaste and tried to plug up this hole. They know exactly what happened. Yeah, of course they do. I mean, this is... They where, tried to cover it. This is the cop's dream. This is like, okay, we got this. Let's fucking get these guys. And how many guys were in that room next door at the time? Four? Four to six, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so all area. six of them are four or whoever. Four, I they think all know right. that this happened. Yes. So the cops go back to talk to the electricians. The first one they talked to was Tim Steinmetz. Uh, getting called had been a shocker to Tim, obviously. This is months and months and months after everything happened. Mm-hmm. It was more than seven months since he and Lance Muller had come home from the job in Beaumont. Lance Muller was the guy that had the room in his name. Now, two cops from down there had come all the way to Wisconsin to see him and to question him about the guy who had died next door. Mm-hmm. He's like, what the hell's going on? So he's worried. He's like, okay, well, I'll do my best here. So he and Mueller had talked about it beforehand. So they knew that these guys were coming to talk. They're like, okay, let's get our stories together. We are the same. Okay, let's review everything. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Okay, here's what we're saying. Got it. So Steinmetz met the detectives in an interview room at the Chippewa County Sheriff's Office and um, really could not have been you know nicer. Um, the, the police officers were nice. Brennan and Apple, they're both nice guys. They you know, treated them well. Um Tim sat in a, uh, on a swivel chair in one of the one of the sides of the table, and they sat opposite with their notebooks open and files handy. Very official. They thanked him for coming in. They assured him this is routine, just another thing. Thanks so much for going through this. You know, nothing to worry about. So they walked him through the evening, asked a lot of questions with Steinmetz answering diligently, trying to remember every single detail, leaving out the part about the gun. Of course. <laughs> just like he did last time. And actually, it says, of course. Um, but the detectives had not pushed him at all. So they're like, because in these guys' minds, they don't know that a bullet was involved. Exactly. So they want to get him to be like, this is everything. This is absolutely everything you know, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, Brennan goes, you heard that guy next door to you died? And Steinmetz is like, yeah, we did hear about it, but we really didn't know for sure what the hell was going on. We had no idea. Didn't hear. We didn't hear no commotion next door. Um, no banging, no nothing. But one of them fucked up and told somebody. Right. Hence the guy who was interviewed. So I thought he was shot. Like, yeah. why if you were in that room and you did this, Would did you, you tell that? somebody? Because there's too many people. If there was one or two, I mean, maybe that's why one of our previous uh, episodes, Robert Wan, where we thought, you know, three people knew what happened. They're talking. Yeah. Word leaks out. Somebody's cracking. Somebody's talking. Yes, but no. So, but in this situation, yeah, something. Okay. Leaked. So he said. Yep. So Brennan Apple took notes, and Apple carefully wrote out Steinmetz's statement word for word. Mm-hmm. Like this is your official statement, just so you know. So as they were getting to the end, Steinmetz is like, and that's it, huh? And Apple's like, yeah, that's it. So he's like, you guys flew all the way down here just, just for this. For this. He's like, well um let's just go through the statement make sure we got everything correct we're not leaving anything out here yep i read it out loud if there's anything at all anything anything that's wrong please correct it now because this is your official statement Mm this will be the last one now what does that mean for it to be an official statement so it's a police report okay and if you're lying it's uh perjury okay yeah so uh, they at least get him on something. Got you know? it. So Steinmetz noticed that he was listed as an apprentice, but he changed that to journeyman because he's a journeyman electrician. It's a higher than an apprentice. Uh, so he's like, okay, a few other things. He initialed. He's like, okay. Um, he brought in a local cop to notarize the statement right in front of him. So Steinmetz is feeling pretty good. He's uh, standing up to get out. And he's like, so, all right, uh, we're good here. Is that it? And uh, Brennan goes, hang on a second. It was fine until you signed that statement. Now you've got a problem. Wow. Well, he's like pretty much shits his pants at this point. Oh, well, he's like, I was almost out of here. Everything <laughs> you, was looking good. You know that puckering butthole thing I oh, talked about? Oh, yeah. That that butthole puckered. Yeah, that butthole's puckered he's tight. Like, 
Steinmetz. Yeah. Steinmetz is like, okay. And he sat down again. Now, tell us what really happened, Brennan said. So, because we know what happened. Because now you're going to jail with him. Do you want to go to jail with Lance, motherfucker? <laughs> he didn't say motherfucker. I love him. He didn't say motherfucker, but I pictured You would he imagine didn't. he could have. He could have. He probably had it in his head. <laughs> so, why am I going to jail with Lance, she said. Brennan goes, you just made a false police report. Oof. That's why. So, he's like, okay, shit. So, Got him. Yep. So, Apple's like kind of being the good cop a little bit. Apple's like, Tim. He's like, Brennan, yeah, Brennan. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, here, I'll, I'll handle it here, uh, Brennan. Tim, we know what happened. We know everything that happened down there. And I realize you're trying to be noble and protect your friend, but you're about to get your whole family in a bind. So, it's like, you know, there's friendships, one thing, but your family is going to be fucked here. But we don't know who had the gun. Right. Not yet. So... He's like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So just Come tell clean. us what happened and everything will be fine. So he's like, okay. Out came the whole story. Oh. Corroborated later that same day, June 1st, 2011, in an interview with Trent Pisano, who had been in that same room with them. Uh, between the two accounts, here's what actually happened. Oh. Ready? Okay. So they'd been drinking beer. Uh, Muller asked Pisano to fetch a bottle of whiskey from his car. So that's why they saw him going back and forth. Right. And uh, also bring up his pistol. Why? I don't know. A nine Why millimeter. do you want a pistol in the hotel room? Maybe because it's Texas. They feel more Texas-y. Uh, I don't know. Leave the pistol in the car. It was a nine millimeter Ruger. So when Pisano returned with the gun, Muller took out the handgun and started playing with it. Like no. A, like a fucking dumbass. No. Yeah. I, like, what are you, a kid? Like, like I, you, you don't play with a handgun. Yep. He pointed it at Steinmetz, who dropped to the floor and cursed at him. He's like, what Jesus. the fuck? doing like that's a gun man that's a gun and he's been drinking yeah i mean the rule number one with a gun you don't never, point it never even if it's unloaded like i can't stress enough dude i mean that's a number one you don't play around with a friggin gun yep exactly so um he's like no what are you doing so um he cursed at him went to the floor and he was pointing it at pisano's direction at the foot of the bed jesus when it went off jesus yep pisano thought for a second that he had been hit but he turned and see there was a hole in the wall behind him. He's like, oh, God, thank God. And he's just like, you know, imagine a gun being fired right at your direction. No. Yeah. So Mueller freaked out, they both said. Um, Mueller bundled up the gun and took it back out to his car. When he returned, Pisano left for his own room, being like, I'm, I'm gone. I'm out of here. Yeah. Peace. Yeah, we're this evening's done. Mueller and Steinmetz went downstairs to the bar for more drinks because that was probably a good idea yeah right so steinmetz said they had not known for sure that there was anyone staying in the room next door oh my gosh until as he remembered they heard someone in the room coughing very late after midnight when they came back from the bar coughing yeah weird right so he held nothing back steinmetz's second statement the truthful one laid out the whole thing it was good to get it off his chest i would imagine i mean something he's been living with for months when he and Muller had seen the police in room 348 the next morning and seen the gurney, they were disturbed. Oh, man, they are probably like, holy crap. Yep. He's like, I thought he'd killed that guy. Yeah. And he did. So the only detail that didn't fit was that coughing. The coughing. Yeah. They were like, you know, for many reasons. Because he died within 30 seconds. Yeah. They're like, even if he like was living longer, that was way longer than they thought. That yeah. was like hours and he hours. He bled out. Yeah. So they're like, well, you know what? We'll just chalk this up to like maybe the previous night. They were like, they were drinking every night. Uh-huh. So... Maybe they kind of blood together. Yeah. And then they started being like, yeah, let's just say that there was a guy coughing next door and uh, whatever. Yeah. Maybe they thought, yeah, whatever. That was a gunshot. So, um, so if anything, the weird thing is if they heard somebody coughing and they knew they had just shot a gun towards that room, towards that room, you'd check on them or something, but I'm sure they just panicked and wished that it could just go away. Yeah. So it just made it more terrible being like, you knew there could have been a human in there and you didn't check you man pieces of shit. 
So more likely, yeah, they, they probably heard a, a different night. So, but you know, the, the detectives were like, it doesn't really matter. This is something that yeah, it doesn't matter, but yeah. you know, both of them were like, mm, this isn't going to change anything. They're, no, they looked into he it. He died because you shot this gun. Yep. So Brennan questions them. He's, did anybody knock on the door next door to check on this guy? They're like, nope. I always ask myself if I was in a situation like this, you know, what would I do? And I admit, eh, like he didn't finish his sentence. He's like, you know, oh. like you said, I probably wouldn't. Have, I would just kind of sweep it under the rug. And well, be you're like, just praying to God. It hit the floor. Nobody was there. You yeah. know, obviously, even if he had been in the room and it didn't hit him, he'd be like, what the fuck? You know, a bullet just like went off. Yep. Or a gun just went off. You and I are going to do another scenario. Oh, we're doing here. another role playing exercise. Yep. yep. So he never finished that sentence and the t- detectives had something else they wanted him to do. They called they wanted him to call Lance on a recorded line. Okay. So Lance, you know, is uh is the guy that, you know, it was his gun and everything and, you know, so here here's how the conversation went. I'm going to be Steinmetz and, and that's uh, Lance, right? No. Um Steinmetz is the other guy and then you're Lance. Okay, Hall. got it. So um hey Lance, what's up? Not much, just sitting around. Well, I just got back from down there. Uh, down there is the like the police, the police were coming. Yeah. yeah. How did it go? Well, I told them the whole story. You know what had happened that we were sticking to there. You know what's that? You know the story that we were sticking to that we got home late that night. You know, and the guy coughed and whatever. Right. And uh, I was fixing. Um, I was going to leave there then because your lawyer said it would be okay, right? You know. Right. And uh, when I left there, they said, okay, you know, tell us the truth. So I, you know, I told them the truth, what really happened. So now there's silence, very worried silence. And I say, about the gun going off and all that? Yep. What did they say? Well, that I would be in trouble, you know, if I didn't tell them. Another silence. So what did they say? Not much. I don't know if they're going to get a hold of you or Trent. Or what the hell they're going to do. And then I sigh very heavily and groan. You don't have to say it. You sigh and <sighs> then you groan. Thank you. <laughs> what did they mean by that? I mean, tell us the truth. Did they say anything about the gun prior to that or what? No, they just said they knew exactly what happened. Told me to stop fucking lying. They were pretty pissed. And then I told them exactly how everything went down and what really, truly happened. You should call those guys right away. They're probably going to come and get your ass now that they know the truth and everything. You should probably try to make some kind of effort, you know? The guy, he died from the gunshot. Are you shitting me, Tim? No, I'm not. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Are you serious right now? I'm as serious as a heart attack, Lance. So still to this point, they thought maybe he had died from some other reason? Yeah, I think he was like so convinced. He's like, no, no, no. Like he just convinced himself that... He must have died from something else. Must have just some kind of a crazy situation. Coincidence. Coincidence. Exactly. But why did they fill the bullet hole with toothpaste then? You know, like... Yeah, questions, you I know. guess just two, you did damage to a hotel room. Um, well, and also, you know, anytime something's shot, there's going to be questions asked and things. So Yeah, I, I that would be a hell of a coincidence that you shot a bullet at this room and the guy rolls out on a stretcher. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he just went over months and just trying to convince himself they didn't kill another human being. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he didn't do it. He never blood. had, de- you know, definitive answer that this his bullet did this. Yep. So Mueller refused to believe it. For the next few minutes of the call, he went around and around with Steinmetz. His lawyer had obtained the autopsy report, and he assured the guy. He's like, no, he died from natural causes. You're good, bro. Like, you're you're totally fine. Don't worry. Everything's mm-hmm. good. The, you know, 
and you know that's probably part of it. He's like the autopsy even said he died of natural or not natural, but he was beaten. I right, didn't beat the shit. They out didn't of this beat guy. him. Right, right. So the autopsy didn't say natural causes, but homicide, and and it turned out he was crushed and beaten. So you had so they had a it. sigh of relief. Whew, it wasn't associated with me. Correct, exactly. So he's like, it doesn't make sense. He said, if there was a gunshot, if he was killed from a firearm, they would have said something on the damn news. You know, the coroner would have said uh, the autopsy found a gunshot. And then all of a sudden he probably would have turned himself in. I, I would imagine, you know, you would think. But, um, you know, and Mueller worked hard to convince himself that the accidental gunshot and the death of the man in 348 were unrelated. And the autopsy report confirmed it as far mm-hmm. as he was concerned. So, you know, he's just confused. First, he said it was a heart attack. Then they started saying something fell on him. There's no way. Like, he's like, it's not it. So, um, you know, he asked Steinmetz how he's doing. How am I doing? Not good. I need to go drink some more beers. So, uh, so Mueller apparently had this same idea. He was going to go drink some beers or liquor or whatever. And uh, he was going to get plenty loaded that night before he turned himself in. Ended up calling Brennan uh, intoxicated. Oh. And he's like, he's like, he started trying to explain himself and he wanted to make a statement. He's like, I listen, I want to make a statement. Never a good idea to make a statement while you're wasted. Yeah. Brennan's like, you're drunk. I suggest you call your fucking attorney. Yeah. Yeah. So Brennan was worried that the judge. So now, now we're getting to uh, the the judge and, you know, they're they're in front of a court and everything. Uh, Brennan's worried that the judge started reading as he started reading the sentence. Uh, He had flown to Beaumont on October 29th, 2012. To join Susie and Scott Apple and a group of Greg's family and friends for the sentencing of Lance Muller. Uh, The electrician entered a no-contest plea for manslaughter. As Brennan remembered it, the judge began by saying that this whole tragedy might have been just a terrible accident. Yeah. So he's like, you know what? This might have just been a terrible accident. Well, it sure as hell sounds like a terrible accident. Yeah. But then Brennan's like, oh, fuck, here we go again. Like, you know, he's like, don't tell me this guy's going to get a year or something like that. Right. Like a this. slap on the wrist yeah, or hands. Yeah, exactly. He's like, he's got to pay for this thing. Uh, the judge started, you know, after he's like, this could have been an accident. He started cataloging everything, the list of irresponsible choices that they made. They didn't report anything, you know. So Brennan's like, all right, this is more like it. He's going to get to the good stuff. Here we go. Uh, the judge gave Mueller 10 years, uh, half of what the law allowed. So uh, the apology Mueller offered in the court came too late, obviously. Uh, there was criminally, he was criminally responsible and drunkenly playing with a gun. Mm. Uh, as Steinmetz had said, they had suspected from the start that the bullet had at least helped kill the man in room 348. So maybe startled him at the very least, you know, and had a heart attack and whatever. Um, you know, that was kind of the first assumption that the police had. So they're like, okay, heart attack. He heard the gunshot. He got startled. He's dead, right? Um, but then, you know, they were happy to accept that something may have crushed him to death, even if it was hard to imagine what still he had been worried enough about the gunshot. He had himself patched the hole with toothpaste. So Uh that that was something he clearly hid. Yeah. He had hidden the gun immediately in his car. Right. Then stashed it with a friend for a few first few days after the incident. Then he handed over to the attorney for safekeeping before he left Texas. Hmm. Okay. So he knows, you know, he, he kind of still, you, you know that this guy feels like some shit. Happened. Oh, sure. Yeah. He's like, oh, crap, what have I done? Right. So they were saying that was a huge mistake. If he had come forward any time prior to Brennan and Apple solving the mystery, which took eight months of hard work, like, yes. you're not going to get off scot-free when two people's lives are consumed by something for eight months. They say it's unlikely he would have been charged with manslaughter, much less gone to jail. What would he have been charged with? I don't know. I think they would have been easier on him. It still technically was manslaughter, but yeah. it's like, you know, a, a gun went off. Like, you know. Yeah, I mean, a man was killed because of your actions. Obviously, it was an accident. You yep. didn't mean to do this. Yep. 
Uh, Mueller had gambled from the start that whatever connection he had to Greg's death would have never been discovered. Yeah. So I obviously mean, that's what he did. Yep. The odds were in his favor. And even after the connection was made, the, um, the district attorney's office has been reluctant to prosecute the case as a felony. Um, Brennan had turned the idea around when he found out the prosecutor might opt for a plea deal. He flew to Beaumont and joined a meeting between Apple and Paul Noyola, an investigator for the DA's office. Noyola explained that accidental gun discharges in Texas were not uncommon. Yeah. yeah Cause ha- a lot of people have guns. Right. Happen all the time. The juries and judges tended to understand them because everybody has guns and that, well, the whole issue of an accidental death was kind of a gray area in the Texas criminal code. So in other words, the whole thing was looking more, of a hassle than a slam dunk Hmm. amazingly so the private detective brennan was you know very very like poignant and just like no listen this is how it's going to go down he arranged to bring Susie to beaumont for a meeting with the assistant da in charge of the case among other complications the assistant da told them Mueller's gun was still locked in the lawyer's safe so it's like we don't even have the weapon right Uh, we know where it is but we don't have it and the lawyer was making noises about fighting efforts to have it turned over so Brennan's like, what am I in fucking like, you am I in a different world here? Right. Like we're the police. Like what's going on? Well, why was the gun never brought out? Right. Well, Brennan goes, I suggest you go down there with a search warrant and a fucking blowtorch and go get the fucking weapon. I don't understand that. Right. It's like, like th- this is part of, this is the weapon that killed this man. I, maybe it's a Texas thing. It's like a respect for it. I don't know. I don't get it, but it's evidence of a capital crime. What the fuck are you talking about? You know, here's specifically what he remembers saying, which sums up the whole story. The victim was important to everybody here. He was gesturing around the table as as the meeting. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to let this thing be brushed under the rug. Let somebody take a plea deal on this. This is not a fucking accident. An accident is when somebody comes in, has taken off their gun, the gun discharges, and God forbid, somebody's hit. Yeah, but this idiot was drunk and playing with a weapon that could kill somebody. Yep, this is completely different. When somebody fucking brings a gun that they shouldn't have had in a fucking state, shit-faced drunk, fucking around with a gun, the people with him... The people with him realize that something bad could happen. He discharges around, almost killed the guys, the guy he's with. Yeah, that's just the thing. He just happened to duck. Yep. And then he does kill somebody on the other side of the wall. He knows that something could have happened. It's an occupied hotel. He doesn't even bother to knock on the door next door to see if anybody's hurt. Jesus. And after that, his answer to the whole thing is to go get drunk some more in the fucking bar of yeah. the hotel. And then when he sees a body being taken out the next day, which what again, (laughs) what are the odds that this man died of something different when you shot a gun through his wall last night? Yeah. And so he sees the body and he's 100% certain he killed somebody. He decides not to say anything about it, but run to his attorney and leave the fucking weapon in a safe. Yeah, that that in itself, like he gave the gun to the attorney. Yep. And the effing attorney doesn't say anything about it either. You know what that is? That's a fucking murder. So if you think we're going to forget about this thing, think again, because that ain't effing happening. Well, a lot of this also here. needs to be a big lesson learned to other people. Yeah, right. Like if you killed somebody, fess up, man. Like, like you, you may not have meant to do this, but you did it. And this man lost his life. And this woman now is a widow. And his brother and his family, like everything. You know, this yeah. affects more than like, two people. You can't play around with a deadly weapon. Yep. Brennan was just downright angry, understandably so. Thank God mm-hmm. he stood up. Because yeah. who knows if they're sitting there just taking it, they, you know, oh, okay, slap deal. on the rest. You just be be more careful with that gun next time. Right. Right. So after Mueller was sentenced, Brennan and Apple went out for a celebratory lunch. Brennan had himself a cocktail. Apple was on duty, so he didn't have anything to drink, but they both agreed we'll play golf sometime. So mm-hmm. um, in the courtroom that day, Susie Flanagan had a chance to speak to Mueller directly. Here's what she said to her husband's killer. I've waited over two years to look you in the face eye to eye and simply have the chance to speak directly to you 
you would never have come forward with the truth. Mm-mm. You murdered him. No, you didn't intentionally seek out to murder him, but you murdered him. With every lie you told, with every intentional selfish deception, with every cover-up over and over again, you saw his body taken out of the room in a body bag the next day. You knew you killed him. Yeah, of course he did. He meant nothing to you. And it's oh, like... That's so sad. It is. Um, yeah. All he was worried about was, you know, his repercussions. Right. Selfishly, it's just... Yeah. I mean, that's the whole reason. If I, I would else. imagine that it would be an extremely scary situation. Like, holy shit, what did I do? Like, I... I yeah, that's really tough. And just praying it wasn't you. And yeah. Yep. And um, this reporter for the Vanity Fair article, Susie told him that she watched Mueller's face as the sentence was pronounced, and he had looked terribly shocked. And she thought to herself, good. He's shocked, but not as shocked as my husband was. No. I mean, just like the guy's just like sitting there. Just, what a horrible situation. Yeah. It's all around. I mean, it's, it's terrible. So that night in room 348, relaxing, smoking, watching Iron Man 2, Greg... Uh, could not have known what hit him in the moments before no, he died. You have no idea what the hell just happened. You're probably like sitting there. You have a searing pain. You stand up out of shock. Yeah. Think a heart attack or a lightning bolt hit you yeah. or something like unbelievable. And then boom. Dead. Gone. Yep. Mueller knew exactly what was hitting him in this oh. case. So here's how she finished talking to Mueller. You have met your match. I would have spent the rest of my life tracking you down. And I found you. Greg's murder. I brought you to justice. So what did he end up getting? Um, for ten sen- years. Ten years. Yeah. So that's. So he's. This was 2012, correct? Yeah. So he'll be out next year. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, he didn't intentionally murder Greg. Right. But, but it was more the the self righteous thing, not self righteous. <laughs> uh, the the selfish choices that he made along the way, just yeah. not reporting anything, no. sweeping it under the rug. These people spending their lives, and this, you know, the poor wife knew that he died. And it, how? Yeah. How did this happen? Exactly. He still didn't step forward. And yeah, at that point, you know, when you see the guy on the gurney being pulled out. You have to know. That's when you step up. You have to know this is, this cannot be a coincidence. Yeah. And he must have felt like great three months in, you know, I He's mean. He's like, woo, yeah. dodge, dodge that bullet. Yeah. Unlike. Unlike Greg. Yeah, exactly. That's awful. And I, I just wish that something positive could come out of this, like more awareness on gun safety. And that's what we talk about with our kids, because you hear these god awful stories about a teenager or what a, whatever age being home with their friends. Parents are out. Oh, look, my dad, mom, my mom and dad's gun twirling it around. And boom, your friend is shot. Well, I mean, we don't have a gun in the house and. I do, I, I'm not afraid of guns. I've shot plenty of guns. You, a gun is a deadly weapon, and it has to be treated as such, and you have to treat it responsibly. A gun is made to kill things. Yes. I mean, that's it's why it's not a made. toy. No, exactly. It's and, not something to be brought out and twirled around or pointed at your friend when you're drunk. And you always hear those stories of kids like, hey, look. And it's like, we told our kids, if there's ever somebody that brings a, a kid that brings out a gun in a house you or get anybody. get the hell out of there. Anybody that shows any kind of gun time to make up a lie lie all you want be like oh my mom just called i I gotta leave or i forgot something just get out of that house yeah immediately and we'll come get you whatever it is like make up a lie it's okay to lie in that scenario oh i have diarrhea whatever just get out get out as soon as you can yeah well i'll show you a gun all you want if we'll go to a gun store you know you can go touch one if you want to you're curious that's fine but 
Yeah, guns are... I mean, anytime I see one, you get like a little scare in you. Yeah, I mean, I've really only seen like a couple real guns in my life. I've never fired a, a gun. You did. I uh, did like... Gun. Yeah, I mean, I guess that was like the clay pigeon shooting. Yeah. That, yeah. They, that could kill somebody. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's a gun. It's Guns are fun, you know, for sport. No doubt about it. I, I enjoyed... I've shot like military guns i've shot like i went to oklahoma and visited a client and we went to a gun range and shot some awesome guns but it's like it's such a scary feeling when you shoot a gun well it's a very powerful thing to be holding you're like i could like you know somebody here could turn around and kill us all basically yeah and that's just the thing i am i'm not against guns at all but they have to be you have they have to be held responsible right. you know absolutely if you get one and you have kids in your house you put it somewhere where they can't get it you talk to them about it if you're drinking, don't you play don't your bring gun. your gun out when you're drinking no in a hotel room when you're sitting there. That's like just, I wish I would have known why he brought it out. It's just there was no reason why he just brought something it out. Fun, like hey, you want to see my gun? Yeah, I got let me in my walk car. out to my truck and get it with the bottle yeah. of whiskey. I'm going to get. Yeah, no, great idea. Whiskey and guns don't go together. And uh, if that's one thing we can teach you, don't be drinking and gun playing. Yeah. So this poor guy, but uh, thought that was a pretty interesting. Story. I'm just glad that they solved it because had they not brought Brennan in it wouldn't have been dug back up. You know, they would have never looked at the autopsy report again because it was an open and closed thing. Okay. He got beaten up. We don't know how and, and why, but he did unsolved. And Sorry. then they would have never had that closure. Right. Susie would have never known what actually killed her husband. Yep. Yep. So at least she has the closure now. Yeah. And uh, that's about that. So, hey, thanks for listening to the episode. We appreciate it. And a lot of success so far. And uh, if you can give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that's a great free way to support us. But uh, follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram. We uh, update anytime we have a new episode and just have random thoughts. And we'll be back next week. And I'm on, I'm on board to present next week. Yeah, you've got like two or three lined up already. Yes, I like to be prepared. Any kind of teasers or anything? Mm, no, okay. no teasers. That sounds good. Well, hey, thanks for listening. All right, we'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Bye.